My name is Dulce Valencia, and welcome to Telenovelas con Dulce, a podcast where every week I invite special guests to break down the telenovelas we love. From the music, to the cast, to the unforgettable plot twist. Every slap, every imbecile, every secret twin. I have got you covered. Bienvenidos and welcome to another episode of Telenovelas con Dulce, the podcast where I, your host Dulce Valencia, talk about telenovelas with you all. Today we have a very, very, very special episode because we are joined by the one, the only, the brilliant, the talented actor, activist. You know her as a star of Cosita Linda and Tierra de Reyes, Ana Lorena Sanchez. Oh, I, I love that in that in, that interview. That <laughs> thank you so much. It's so sweet of you. It is my absolute honor and privilege to be sitting down on this screen <laughs> with you today, and I'm so excited to be with you. I'm so excited to have you. Uh, I am a huge fan of you, and also I'm very fortunate to call you a friend. That just makes my heart flutter. <laughs> it is absolutely reciprocated. How have you been? I've been good. It's been, you know, it's been a weird year. I have my pups with me, so you guys might hear them in the background. It's Kai and Boone. Again, uh, picking up where I left off, it's been a bit of a chaotic year. I think it looks, you know, different for everybody. I still think that uh, I'm a silver linings type of person and there's a lot to take out of this year and a lot to take with me moving forward. Uh, it's close to my birthday. And even though I don't go too big on my birthday, except for last year, I usually go into like a period of reflection. And you know how for New Year's, some people take that time to reflect and to um, set some goals. And maybe I, I never go through that. I, it's not that I never go through that. It's just that when my birthday comes around, that's when I get my little mini birthday crisis. <laughs> and it sounds like, okay, what are you doing with your life? Where are you going? Where do you want to be? What, you know, what can you do different? What can you, what can you take with you moving forward? What do you want to release? So I am, I, I feel it already coming along, but I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to just get new projects started. I have, I have two projects coming, coming along and I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what, what my 30 going on 31 will bring me. Wow. I love it. And it's so funny because I do the exact same thing on my Oh, birthday. really? That's yes. awesome. So when you were saying it, I was like, oh my God, we do the same thing. <laughs> I started, um, it started when I was going through a really like difficult time in my life. And then I just started writing a letter to myself, to my future self. And in that I started envisioning what I wanted her future to be like. Oh, that's beautiful. And so now I have like six letters all going back, like from six years ago. And oh, so man. my birth. Do you ever go back to them and, and read them and see how far you've come from where you, oh, that, <laughs> that was Boone. It's uh, okay. Technical difficulties. Um, do you ever go back and read them? I do. Every, every, whenever I'm doubting myself or whenever uh, I'm going through something difficult, mm -hmm. um, Whatever I find, because I have multiple journals. So sometimes I find a letter that I wrote last year, or I find a letter that I wrote to myself, like the first one I wrote. And um, every single time, mm -hmm. it just tells me what I need to, what I needed to hear. It, I think it's funny how sometimes when you're in alignment and you're writing from a place of source and of light from within, that can literally 
transcend time and place. So it does become like confirmation whenever you need it or guidance whenever you need it. That mm-hmm. is so inspiring. I think I, I might I might do that this year. Do it. I so <laughs> recommend it to every everyone. I'm always like, write a letter to yourself. Moving forward, uh, happy early birthday. Maybe by the time this comes out, it will be your birthday because your birthday is in August. Mm-hmm. So maybe, ooh. ooh. Maybe I'll maybe I'll release it on your birthday just as a birthday gift. Stop. Your family. I, okay, you know what? I'm manifesting. That's what's gonna happen. That's what's gonna happen. He's such an awesome birthday present. It would mean a lot to. All right, that's what we're gonna do then. So we're gonna get started with this interview. And so we're just gonna, yeah, because I think originally I was like, most of these questions talk about Tierra de Reyes, but if at any point you want to talk about any other telenovela you've done, um, okay. I actually recently started watching Cosita Linda. Oh, really? Yes. It's what on Prende TV. Oh my God. They're, they're airing it? Prende TV is an app mm-hmm. um, and it works like you, I have it on my phone. And oh, so it's like a streaming platform. It's a streaming platform. It's completely free. And you can watch all these telenovelas and they have Cosita Linda. That is amazing. What have you thought about it? I like it. Yeah. I, like it. I really am a really big fan of Christian Meyer. Oh, um, yeah. He did La Malquerida where he was mm-hmm. this good guy. But at the end, it's he's like the worst human being ever. Isn't that wasn't that with um, Victoria Rufo? Yes. Yeah. And Ariadne Diaz. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that was actually, he did that right after Cosita Linda. You're kidding. Yeah. I didn't realize it was that soon. Mm -hmm. It was right after we finished shooting in Miami. And he, I remember uh, talking to him because we're still really good friends. Like he's one of, he's one of the people that I have worked with who is just such a generous and beautiful soul that yeah, we, I mean, we're still in touch. And as soon as we finished Cosita Linda, a couple months later, I remember him reaching out and saying that he was in Mexico City and that he was going to start a project with Victoria Rufo. And it was called La Malquerida. And oh, I love that. And I love hearing that he's a good person because I love him. He is a beautiful soul. Christian was a great team player. I think at the beginning, you know, when you're, when you're meeting, when you're meeting uh, co-stars or colleagues, it's always a bit awkward because it's so many people behind what pushes a uh, uh, production like telenovelas, just mm-hmm. because they're very intricate, you know, so, so it, it requires a big team. But I think I had a little bit of like the blessing and the curse of not knowing exactly who he was. You know, I had I had kind of seen him because I've shared this with you. I didn't grow up watching telenovelas, but I kind of had an idea a little bit of who was who. And I think that going into that project and having that factor was so awesome because it gave the building of our, like the foundation of our relationship was just so natural. You know, I, I mean, I was literally a nobody starting my career. It was my first lead. He didn't have to be a nice human, you know, but he, he was, he was very generous, very kind and, and just very fun to work with. I had a lot of fun shooting that show. It seems like a lot of fun, especially because I don't know if people know this about you, but you're a dancer and you started dancing from a very <laughs> yeah. young age. So your character is a dancer. Yeah, it was so perfect. It had so many elements that I think I've I've had the blessing of doing projects that include either 
hobbies or interests of mine. It happened with Tierra de Reyes as well when we were able to work with the horses. I remember every time I got my call sheet and it was at a location at the ranch where the horses were going to be, I was just extra excited to go to work. So that happened with Cosita Linda, which was actually also a challenge because I had never, hip hop is not my forte. Mm-hmm. I didn't grow up dancing hip hop. I'm trained in belly dance and flamenco, which are very different. Ultimately a craft translates across the board if you have the discipline and and I guess the drive to put in the work and and we put in the work <laughs> we put in the work for all of that period this leads me to my next question or my first question actually which is how did you get involved in telenovelas I it was kind of an accident mm-hmm. because like I said not only did I not grow up in that part of our culture. I wasn't immersed there. My mom just actually didn't allow us to watch telenovelas at home. They were prohibido. Prohibido. No, podi- no había poder en el planeta que nos dejara ver las telenovelas. I watched bits and pieces of this one telenovela that was called Corazón Salvaje. Yes. Old, like old, mid-90s. With Edith Gonzalez, right? And With Eduardo Palomo. Gonzalez. And I was, so I was five years old and in love with Eduardo Palomo. Like really in love with Eduardo Palomo. And that was, that was, you know, what little reference I had. Um, I think, I think my mom's intention was, was a very good one. It was in order to kind of drift us away from being attached to a screen for an hour Mm-hmm. but an hour a day. So she kind of convinced us that reading was more fun or that extracurricular activities were more fun. And I really appreciate that. I, I, I really do because it gave me just a different outlook on life in general. Mm-hmm. But going back to your question, because I need to be a little more specific and precise. <laughs> I, I remember finding an acting class in Meisner Technique that I really wanted to join in Miami. It was a 10 month course that was only one day out of the week for four hours. Everything else you had to put in the work on your own during the week and prepare. And I, I had never been so captivated by any subject. I was a terrible student. And, and by terrible, I mean, I, you know, I just, I did not like school at all, but I remember Spanish literature and philosophy were always easier for me to dive in. And on the side, I I studied human behavior and a little bit of psychology. But when I got to that acting class, I was just, again, inspired, captivated. I wanted to know more. So the exchange at home was, you can go to Miami and do that because this was in Miami and I was living in Texas at the time. You can go to Miami and do that as long as you, first of all, have a plan of action and, and, and make it happen. It was a year and nine months into the year, right before I finished that, I think it was, yeah, 10 month class. I auditioned for Telemundo. They were looking for a young cast because most of the actors that they had been working with for a really long time were above uh, the age of 24, 
five thirty and didn't look like high schoolers. And we all needed to be in high school. And I remember going to that, doing that audition because it bought me time. It bought me time. Not, not because I was so quickly inspired to join or to, to be a part of this genre, but because the audition didn't guarantee that you would be on the show. It was just getting you into a six week competition of some sort where we would get classes with other acting techniques we did something called Raza Boxes. We did Chekhov. And we also uh, had the opportunity to study under Adriana Barraza, which is now known as one of Mexico's best actresses across the board. So I knew that that would give me also more perspective. It would give me more preparation. And I just kind of started going with the flow. Little did I know, I just advanced and advanced and in the end, I was given what is considered la protagonista juvenil, you know, which doesn't kind of doesn't happen in the general market. There's no division. It's just leads, guest stars, co-stars. Um, in telenovelas, you have, depending on, on the show, like this case, Sandra Echeverria was protagonista. Gabriel Coronel was protagonista. Pero tenías un elenco juvenil. Y en el mm. elenco juvenil, Habían eh, protagonistas juveniles, and it was Danilo, Danilo Carrera, Oscar uh, Priego, and I. And that, that was like the love triangle? Yeah, that was the love triangle. Oh, love it. Yeah, that was the love triangle. Um, and it was a challenge. It was it was very challenging. It I think to this day, considering, you know, not comparing my experience now to my experience then, but just taking into consideration the little experience that I had, even though that I, even though I knew I, I had put in as much work as I knew I could and what was at my reach, it was such a challenging experience across the board with executives, with the network, with the story, with the acting, with my personal life, with my family, because they, you know, all of a sudden you, you decide to, take on an artistic career and my career kind of comes with the a, a secondary effect or a symptom which is being in the public eye and you kind of drag sometimes your closest people into that without them even asking for it so it's been a, it was a process and not just for me but for my immediate family members and now we're here now we're here <laughs> wow. No, that's that's a lot of insight. Um I I asked my um my podcast listeners to submit questions for you. And someone, I think it was Fatima, sorry Fatima if it wasn't you, um <laughs> was like how do you deal with being in the public eye and you know like tabloid news and how like how it affects like your mental health. I think, you know, it's it's a part of it's part of the game. It's part of the process. You also have that double-edged sword, which is social media. Mm -hmm. And I think that tabloids have kind of lost traction. They're still a thing. I get it. You know, they're, they're still a thing. But they have lost the traction that they used to have and the attention that they used to have because now you have your own social media and you get to choose what you share and don't share. And you share your own truth about what you want to share and what you don't want to share. Mm -hmm. I learned very quickly after during Tierra de Reyes that I was always very hesitant to put anything intimate 
on my social media. And then I was in a relationship that became very media driven because that person was very media driven. I was always very hesitant, but I kind of went along como que cediendo mm -hmm. uh, uh, a lo que para él era importante. And I don't easily regret things. And again, I can't say I fully regret because I learned. And I also just confirmed that I don't want to be sharing things that are so intimate to me or important to me because it's it feels almost at, almost as if you're prostituting a part of your life that to me is sacred. So the way that I've handled it is I try to be as as generous with the audience that I have and the platform that I have because they are a huge part of me being able to work in what I love to do. But I also cherish and protect what is important to me. So there are things that I will not share, like my relationship, like um, certain personal issues that I go through. I don't, my reaction isn't, oh, let me tell the world. I just kind of prefer to live it in a more private fashion, for example. Um, and I, I can't really judge people that do it otherwise. I just don't like prostituting my life because in the end, I also want to be recognized if I deserve the recogni recognition. And that's what I work for as well. I want to be, I want to be seen as a talent that has a body of work that is dignified and that mm. is, you know, that has growth and that has quality as opposed to being the tabloid person or the social media person that has a career just because this other thing exists. Mm -hmm. So it's a balance. It's a balance. It's, um, it's a lot of communication with your closest people about who's comfortable with what. Um, I don't, I try not to live my life according to what other people say and feel, but there are certain things that, you know, Um, my sister hates taking pictures. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I respect that. I, she doesn't want to be part of the public eye. So she is not. My mom doesn't really care. She actually is a psychotherapist that uses her own platform for her work. So it just, it depends. And it's, it's trial and error. It's a lot of patience. It's a lot of love and just trying to find a balance between sharing what people want to know and be a part of, because I think that there's also a very genuine interest in the public to know, you know, the, the little intricate details about your life, because it's, it's, it's part of feeling like you belong to that person. And that person kind of belongs to you because you look up to them, a balance between that and keeping what I love and cherish protected. And that should be, you know, in a more intimate setting. Mm -hmm. And for your fans too, um, I think it's important because I do see like, you know, like people like you get all these questions and it's always like, Donde está el novio? or like mm -hmm. this and stuff. And so as fans of your work, like we should also know that what you want to share with us, you're going to share with us. And what you don't, respetarlo. Absolutely. And my relationship started with the audience by working. And I, and I, I kind of want to keep it that way. I feel so blessed that the audience and the platform that I have is just smart and kind. And yes, I've, yes, I've dealt with some trolls in the past, but 
most of the people that I come in contact with, people that I've even met when I've traveled that know my work, it's, it's such a gift. It's such a gift. Not that they know about me, but that my work can connect me on an emotional and experiential level with people. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I appreciate the most about my career. Y luego, I think, so you you did a few telenovelas and then you got Tierra de Reyes, mm-hmm. which I think that like really put you even more in the public eye than you were before. Mm-hmm. Uh, how was the audition process? Y como, how did you get involved in being the protagonist of such a huge telenovela? Oh my gosh. Um, the So I remember finishing Cosita Linda and... <laughs> I would, I, I try to, when I finish a project, go back to classes and go back to polishing up my, you know, my craft. Um, besides there's never, you know, there's always room to grow and always room to learn. And right after Relaciones Peligrosas ended, I went to Mexico City to El Sea. Three months later, I got the casting for Cosita Linda and I had to go turn in the keys to my apartment in Miami and they sent me the casting and I was like, eh, why not? You know, it doesn't hurt. It keeps me in practice and I'm leaving anyway. So what's one last casting? Two weeks later, I had to get, I had to negotiate my my apartment back. Oh my God. Yeah, I, I begged, begged that building to give me my apartment back. And then I think what was what was interesting and what felt so, I guess, no sé cómo se dice en inglés, pero reivindicar. Oof, you're testing my Spanish. I know, it's a really hard word. Actually, okay, let's go. Oh my goodness. ¿Cómo dijiste re- reivindicar? Re- re- I think I know what it means. Is it like... Google is saying it's claim. I don't think it's... I don't think it's the correct translation, Mm. but I had during Relaciones Peligrosas, I had a very rough falling out with Telemundo. There was a lot of pressure going into me getting plastic surgery, boobs and nose, losing weight because I put on weight during the project. And I just, there was, it's, it's a, it's a very complicated subject, but I just thought that the way things ended gave me the feeling that I would never be allowed back to work. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to comply with those things. I didn't want to get those things done. So when I finished Cosita Linda, I kind of got that stamp of credibility of she can be a lead on a show that lasted 10 months shooting. And right after Cosita Linda ended, actually all through Cosita Linda, there, I did a lot of personal and inner work on myself. And I think that reflected, I, as soon as the show ended, I started getting into the best shape of my life. And I remember being called for that audition for Tierra de Reyes and walking back into those hallways and people not even recognizing, you know, when somebody's working on themselves and, and you just see something different, they just kind of glow different. Mm-hmm. I think there was a lot of that. And there there were people that I bumped into that didn't, they saw me, they didn't really, they had to do like a double take. And it felt like the work that I had done and the no's that I had to say and the sacrifices that I had to make, thinking that I was closing a door for my career were paying off because I was being called back to audition. And I wasn't even auditioning for the lead. I was auditioning for Andrea, who was- wow. 
Charlotte Groover. And I remember giving it my all. And I don't think, I can't remember if they made, if they made me stay and, and prepare the audition for Sophia that same day, or if they let me, they let me go and come back the next day or a couple days later to do the audition for Sophia. So I did Andrea and then I did the audition for Sophia. And all of a sudden I'm test shooting with Aaron Diaz. And then it all just kind of unraveled. And it was a couple of days of a lot of excitement about, you know, feeling, feeling good. I don't, I don't like putting all of my faith into castings just because I think that the job of an actor is to cast. When you get the gig, that's kind of like recess. That's just mm -hmm. a bonus. My real job is casting. That's what I do. But that was a process that I really enjoyed, that it was always full of good nerves and it wasn't torturous. It was just awesome. And a true testament to you that you stood your ground and you know, you, you were still a pretty young actor and you stood your ground and you're like, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And the universe was like, you go girl mm -hmm. and I'm going to give you this. Right. And I'm going to give you this in return. I, um, I was literally just yesterday talking to a couple of my friends and, uh, because we were all, well, um, uh, my friend and I were in We're, we're actors, we're aspiring actors. And, yep. and we were talking about how typecasting is and how we've been treated differently because of how we look and been told, you know, you'll never get a lead or you're to this or you're to that and you'll never get a lead. Mm -hmm. And it's horrible and it can be debilitating. Absolutely. But learning to stand who you are and stand by who you are and what you look like is so important because ultimately you know, you're you, mm -hmm. that's it. And that's your superpower too. Absolutely. Because there is no other Dulce Valencia. There is no other Ana Lorena. And you're always going to be too little of something or too much of something for someone, whether it's on a personal level, whether it's on a business level, you just, I mean, we are really not made to please everybody. And that's a beautiful thing. It allows us to be unique. It allows us to, and, and I do believe that the, that the more in alignment, which is a huge challenge, right? But the more in alignment you are with what you want and being in, so to me, being in alignment is thinking, feeling, saying, and doing in the same direction, right? And all of those elements need to play a part in order for the universe to get a very, very clear idea of the type of things that you want to attract. And, you know, there's this quote I really like that says that the universe falls in love with a stubborn heart. I love that. I really, yes, I, I really, I really like that. And I think that's one of the things that has kind of kept me going even after our, all of these years of kind of a limbo of work, which is disappearing very soon, but yeah, it is. God almighty, the universe, everybody who's listening, <laughs> I'm super thankful for the projects that are, that are coming up, but, um, it just, you know, something that we're not accustomed to anymore nowadays is that as humans, we take time. Relationships take, take time. Understanding who you are takes time. And it seems like our attention span and our patience runs 
thinner and thinner because technology is the culture of the immediate. And if you're not, if you're allowing this to dictate your life process, you're going to be very frustrated through that process because life is not technology. Life is experience and experience takes time. Mm -hmm. And going back, because I found it so, so interesting, but also very truthful when you were like, you know, my job is casting and the actual job is recess Mm -hmm. because from what you've told me about telenovelas the film scheduling is so grueling and so long so I was like you're calling that recess absolutely well (laughs) here's the thing it's it's such a gift to be able to do what you love right Mm -hmm. so I think that that overpowers everything else I would 100% rather be tired of doing what I love than be tired of doing something that I don't love Mm -hmm. or something that just doesn't fill me. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people, you know, it's so easy to criticize telenovelas because sometimes they're so tacky or they're so, you know, melodramatic or, you know, over the top. I'm the biggest defender of it. I I have I have said it before. I will say it again on this podcast. I think that novelas are sometimes better produced and better characters come out of that than mainstream English media sometimes. Because for that, I I love you for you know raising the bar and dignifying telenovelas because I had to learn how to do that. Mm-hmm. I was on the other spectrum until on the other side of the spectrum until I worked in telenovelas. And I said, oh, it takes balls. I don't know if we can say that. Oh yeah, yeah, don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) But absolutely, absolutely. You know, you you shoot uh, an average of 25 to 38 scenes a day. It's be at the studio by seven in the morning, leave the studio eight o'clock, nine at night, sometimes 12, sometimes 14, sometimes 16 hour days where you don't get paid overtime. Telenovelas do not get residuals. Wait, it, what? Absolutely. Y'all don't get residuals? No, this was a this was this was a huge issue with SAG AFTRA when they realized how exploited Latino actors are just because we shoot in Spanish. So they're not considered a union job. So, okay. So if I were, for example, to be like, I want to do telenovelas, I go to Miami, I go to Telemundo and I'm in telenovelas, that does not make me union eligible? All that work? You're kidding. No. And residuals, because we have like, Tierra de Reyes, for example, I see it everywhere. It's on Hulu. Like when when it's like Latino Heritage Month, it's at the top pick of Hulu. I don't know if you've seen it. Oh my Uh, God. Thank you, Hulu. Thank you. Yeah. But you're not getting paid for all that? No. I, I mean, I'm barely being introduced to how the general market works. So yeah, the difference in the difference in paychecks is huge, huge. And the, I mean, the difference in, in work ethic is also and, and rhythm is also very different. I used to criticize it. I used to criticize it a lot. But it has given me food on my table and a roof over my head. And it's also allowed me to become a better athlete in my emotions when I'm in work, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, because telenovelas also, you know, they have these huge studios with amazing sets. And if they, if that day on set, there's a hospital, there's a jail and there's a church, you might give birth, die, and get married in the same day and be imprisoned. So you better you better know your stuff. You really better know your stuff. 
And how do you do that? Because so I I do primarily theater, right? So I'm used to having a script for like three weeks Mm -hmm. and then I have to be off book and then I perform it. And and it's always the same script, right? It's never like new episodes, but we're talking telenovelas here where you have a hundred, 200 episodes, and these are hour long episodes and there's no break. How do you memorize all that? And how are you in tune with your emotions? Because like you said, in one scene, you'll be crying and the next scene you might not be. And do you shoot in order? That's, there's a lot, there's a lot of questions here. So of course, no, let's, let's get into it. No, we don't shoot in chronological order. So I, I learned, I kind of journal on the side and I learned a system of continuity, emotional continuity, and even wardrobe continuity so that I know where my character is coming from and where I'm going. That way, when I shoot the previous scene or the next scene, if I already did the one in the middle, then I kind of have an idea of what I did on camera and translate that, make sure that that translates into what's next or what's before. I remember Relaciones Peligrosas, I did completely off book. Cosita Linda, I did mostly off book, but there came, but there came a point where I had to use an in-ear. I had to learn how to use it because even though I was completely against it at the beginning, when I saw how chaotic these things can be, you know, you might have a location and in Miami, all of a sudden there's a torrential storm and you're out of the location. So they take you back to the studio and that same day they change what you studied from last night and they tell you, okay, so here are the 12 new scenes that we're going to record or that we're going to film today. And you just have to be on it. And I did, I did the whole in-ear and I, and I learned how to use it. And the way that works is somebody's basically telling you your lines. Of course, it's your job to make it sound natural and look real. And the only way I I think I can explain it is I am most present when I'm listening to the other actor that I have in front of me. So having an in-ear does not exempt you from studying. Having an earpiece does not exempt you from not analyzing the script and from not reading the whole script. It's a tool that should work just to have something to back you up. So it works kind of like, it's very weird, but let's find a simple, uh, for example, simple YouTube National Geographic documentary. Let's click on, this is called When Lions Attack. So so I, I get the gist of the idea of what he just said, right? And they're telling me in my ear and I have to and I have to pace myself in order for me to be able to say my lines. So there's a place where a mere drink of water feeds into the mighty Zambezi River. So obviously the ideas should be complete in complete sentences, but you're, you're almost three or four words behind what they're telling you. Believe it or not, at some point it makes it easier because your brain is fried and sometimes memory sucks. And sometimes your brain is just like, "Uh uh-uh, I quit. You know, I'll see you tomorrow if I get here. (laughs) But that's how, yeah, that's just kind of how you push through. Wow. Just so much to unpack there. And so much of my illusion of telenovelas shattered a little bit. But it's okay. (laughs) No, quite on the contrary. I I find it admirable. And and you know what? Now people are so well-trained. I have incredible friends that are 
so absolutely talented. I know that Fernanda Castillo does not use an, an earpiece. I love her. Okay, these people do not, and and they've already found a way to just pick up, memorize, analyze, get your objective, just basic things that are going to allow you to be emotionally present. Listen to the person that you have in front of them, in front of you, make it about them. And their memory is a muscle, you know, memory. I'm actually going to take on take on that challenge for the next project that I'm doing for uh, Telemundo. I'm going to be completely off book. Can you tell anything about it? Okay. <laughs> I'm so excited though. I'm so excited. <laughs> Pero um, just for the record, I meant disillusioned with uh, not paying you all and residuals, not on the earpiece. Cause that oh, is even more. Yeah. Admirable. Yeah. Just for the record, because no, I will stand by my telenovela actors. <laughs> Thank you. That means the world to me. Oh, and also for listeners, Fernanda is, played Luisa in Teresa, which we just covered. We finished covering it. And um, my my guest, my friend, which did the podcast with me, we loved her character. And we were like, Team Luisa, she deserved better. Like yeah, whole thing. I am such a fan of her. The first time I saw her, she was uh, doing a musical, which is one of my favorite musicals in Spanish. It's called Hoy No Me Puedo Levantar. Ooh. And I thought she was just such a beast of an actor. And then I had the opportunity to meet her and she's just as beautiful as she is on the outside, on the inside. Incredible soul, just incredible soul. And I admire her work deeply. She is probably one of the most hardworking people that I've ever met. Wow, that's so good to hear. And speaking of people you've worked with, so Tierra de Reyes, just real fast, I don't think I even gave this, which I, that bad host job. <laughs> Tierra de Reyes right, is an adaptation of Pasión de Gavilanes, and it deals with a set of three brothers and three sisters. The brothers have a sister who dies. And they blame uh, the sister's family for it. So they go to El Rancho and they're like, we're going to get our revenge. Mm. But guess what? They fall in love with the sisters. And so (laughs) now revenge gets harder because how are you going to get revenge on a woman you love? Mm -hmm. And so there, I think at the center of it too, is a relationship between the three sisters. Like there's a very sisterly bond. A few of my listeners ask, like, how was your relationship with the actors? Because, you know, Scarlett Gruber... uh, Kimberly Los Ramos, how was it like working with them and creating that? Oh my God. It was a dream. I mean, it was really a dream because not only were we sharing on screen, but we all had the same, what's it called? Not changing room, but el camerino. Dressing room. Dressing room. We shared the same dressing room, all three of us. And that could have been the perfect recipe for chaos and for just tearing each other apart. But I remember walking in day one, I held hands with both of them. I said, guys, I don't know what you believe in. And I hope this doesn't offend you, but I brought a una estampita de la Virgen de Guadalupe. I put, you know, the picture of of the Virgin of Guadalupe. And I said, I just kind of want to open the space and share my thoughts and say that this is this should be a safe place for all three of us where mm-hmm. we just feel like we have our own little cave as opposed to allowing negative energy to come in here. So I just, I, I put it in the Virgin's hands. I know it sounds really corny, but um, I said, you know, she's going to be here to protect us. And I think that this space is just to be uninterrupted. And there was, there was definitely chaos, but because of how much fun we ended up 
having. And I remember Gonzalo Garcia Vivanco and Cristian de la Campa and Fabian Rios had the dressing room next to us. And, you know, we would scare each other all the time and play pranks on each other and just kind of pick on each other. And it was it was just so much fun. And the friendship that you see between Scarlett, Kimberly, and I is, I mean, could not be more real. It, it could not be more real. We acted like sisters on and off camera all the time. We didn't fight once. Like there was no animosity once. There was, there was obviously frustration. There was tears. There was, you know, the normal process that you go through when you're, when you're shooting, but it was never against each other. And uh, Cynthia Olavarria was also part of the project. She was the villain in, in the story. And she's actually one of my best friends from before we shoot, we shot the show. I love it. And I love that the friendship transcends. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. I'm going to go to listener questions. And then we're going to talk about your activism because I really want to talk about that. <laughs> um, so Fatima really loves you. Fatima, oh. if you're listening to this, uh, she's from Chicago. And oh she was like... Oh man, I've been to Chicago twice and that's a very emotional place for me because my grandfather was from there. Mm. I've been really emotional lately. So if I cry, I'm just going to let it happen. Mm. (laughs) Um, I would love to visit Chicago. I'm actually planning on possibly going in October with my sister. So Fatima, I will be in Chicago just to let you know. If it if it does happen, I'll confirm or I'll reach out to you and tell her. Um, but I would love to go to Chicago. What was the question? It was um, so that was one of her questions. It was like, are you? Because she's like, I would love to toparme con ella. Of course, um, I would love that as well. Let's see. Let's make oh. it happen, Fatima. Let's make it happen. <laughs> it's gonna make her so happy. All right. So we have Saskia, and Saskia is one of my listeners from Hong Kong, and she asked. What do you love about your character, Sophia? Oh my gosh, Hong Kong. Shout out to Hong Kong. This will never cease to amaze me, really. I mean, it's mind-blowing. What did I like most about Sophia? I, I like that she, she kind of never backed down. She tried to be as human as possible, even when she was strategizing. Um, I loved her love for animals. I love, and, and the connection that she had <clears throat> that she had with animals. I think one of her one of her most awesome qualities was that she never gave up on love despite going through sexual abuse and domestic violence. You know, um I know I know in real life it's very romantic to think that that transition is so smooth out of those things into a healthy love, but I think that the fact that I had the opportunity to show that that transition does exist was just one of the things I loved the most. Sandra asked, what was her favorite telenovela growing up? Which I think maybe you may have answered it. Corazón Salvaje. Okay. Absolutely. Corazón Salvaje. There was this, there was this, I actually think it's another Edith Edith González telenovela. I can't believe I'm blanking out on this. Tell me, I, I love her. So I may know this. So the theme song was sung by Enrique Iglesias and that's why I liked it the most, you know, um, Esperanza. Let's, let's go. Let's <laughs> yeah. Enrique Iglesias 
sang the sang the the theme song. I was in love with him when I was really little. As you should. Let's see telenovelas. So we have. Um, do you remember like sort of the time frame? Mm, I want to say like early early two thousands. Okay, we have. It's not Salome, right? No. Okay, so. Esperanza? So I'm going through her film filmography on Wikipedia. Okay, so we have Rosa Salvaje, Flori Canela, En Carne Propia, Corazón Salvaje, La Sombra del Otro, La Jaula de Oro, Nunca Te Olvidaré, Cuento Nunca de Navidad. Nunca Te Olvidaré. Ándale. Nunca Te Olvidaré, Enrique Iglesias. Yep. Yep. <laughs> we found it. We found it. So I didn't, I actually. Wait, Con Fernando Colunga. Yes. It's on YouTube, so I, I have it on my list to watch. Nice. Okay, well, I used to like it because of the theme song, and I would actually hide from my parents with my sister and and try and watch that telenovela. Oh, you know what's interesting that I, I hadn't realized and I didn't remember until now? I spent all of my summers in Mexico City. My summers spent in, in Mexico as I was growing up, there was the afternoon four o'clock slot of telenovela and it was children's telenovelas. Mm-hmm. There was El Diario de Daniela, Carita de Ángel, and I think there was a Belinda one, but I can't remember. Was it Cómplices del Rescate? Was it Aventuras en el Tiempo? Or was it... Oh my God, I think it was Cómplices... Compli- no, no, compli- Aventuras al res- Rescate. Oh, am- no, Amigos al Rescate. Amigos al Rescate. Something like that. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Belinda was like my inspiration growing up. Like there was, there was a period of time where I had a braid that I wore across my forehead. Like, oh, I think we all did. I think at some point we all did. Yeah. That girl, that Mm -hmm. actor, that woman. That That woman. Yeah. So, so you just, you would watch telenovelas in Mexico? That, yes. So, Mm -hmm. because it was the summer and my mom was like, relax. And the content was really just sappy and pink and, Super nice and in el diario de Daniel. It's like I don't know. That, that those are that's kind of like the soundtrack of my childhood. I love it. And then last telenovela, last listener question is from Jesus. Shout out to Jesus, and he asks, "What was your favorite telenovela to make?" Oh my goodness, I can't. I can't choose. You know what that reminds me of? Um, Anna Martin. So she's on TikTok. By the way, are you on TikTok? I don't know why I feel so awkward on TikTok. I think I did two TikToks and never did it. I, I was like, I just don't think that I'm apt for that app. It's so, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I see the funniest things on there. And my sister is an expert at finding the best TikTok content. And, and my brother too. My brother actually has a, a weird natural, I, maybe it's his age, but TikTok to me has a timing that I don't understand. I don't quite comprehend it. Okay. Maybe I could take the time and, and try and tap into it, but I also don't like doing things on social media that don't come naturally to me. Mm. And, and sometimes even the social media that I do have, which is mostly Instagram already feels a little, a little pushed. So anyway, why are okay. you it's because okay so Anna Martin is like the queen of TikTok Mm -hmm. um she does a bunch of TikToks they always ask her like what your favorite character is so similar Mm -hmm. in in similar vein to what your favorite telenovela is right she's always like 
es como decirle a una madre, like, what kid do you prefer? They're all parts of my soul and they're all parts of my being. I, I completely agree, especially when it comes to telenovelas because of what we mentioned before. It, they take so much time. It's so time consuming and, and the energy that you invest in these projects, it's, it fills up so much of your life that, I mean, every project that I've done has marked that era of my life in a, in a certain way. So I don't know. It's really, it's really hard. I don't think I'd be able to choose. And that's fair. Now moving to your activism that okay. I really want to touch on because <laughs> this is how I met you. I met Ana Lorena because she has just this beautiful heart and she cares so deeply about people and about injustices And she, I met her because the organization I work for, Ana Lorena, has volunteered for us and she has used her voice to elevate stuff that we do on immigration. And recently, with everything that's happening in Cuba, by the time this airs, I hope things are better and I hope like oh my goodness. something yeah. has happened. Mm -hmm. But you did something a few days ago that I was like, I wish people did this. You were, you wrote this beautiful post. So you were using your platform, but the way Instagram's algorithm works Obviously, like it was like not going to boost it at all. Mm -hmm. So Ana Lorena took to her stories and was like, ask me questions. And, <laughs> yep. and of course, like everyone was like, oh, my God, que es esto, que es otro. And then you answered a few questions and then you're like, by the way, this is for the algorithm. So now you're going to listen to what I have to say about Cuba. Mm -hmm. Tell us what inspires your activism and why you do this. I think I'm nurturing in nature, but I also grew up in a household that was always so community driven. I've also been made aware of the certain privilege that I grew up with. And my parents made sure that my siblings and I understood that we had a responsibility with that privilege and that not only should we learn how to earn the things that we have, but to always give back. So that's always been a part of my upbringing. And, you know, the most simple lesson in giving back is that you always think that you're doing something good for certain people. And when push comes to shove, you realize in the end that whoever you're helping more often than not gives you so much more. So it's this, it's, It's this cycle, right? And I, I believe that if the world is already complex and hard, it's as simple as, as wanting. If you've ever been in a situation where you want to alleviate pain or discomfort or, you know, and somebody comes along and shows you how or tells you how or just sits with you, you can value the presence of somebody else just by doing that. And they can literally change your world for the better because it's like a little streak of hope. It's like, okay, well, at least I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. At least I don't. And, and that always starts sparking and, and fueling hope and, and, and hope and dreaming is so important for survival because I know everybody's, everybody's cross is different or everybody's life blueprint is different, but that doesn't mean that we don't go through very, very tough and hard moments. So I believe that we have the power to let people know that they're either loved through the process, that they are heard, 
that they, maybe you can actually physically do something to help, but that's what we're here for. I, I, I've never understood working on yourself if that work is not going to transcend on a community level. We're not alone to, to thrive alone and to be, because it just, it means nothing in the end. Mm-hmm. So I think it also doesn't mean that you should jump on all of the causes, you know, it, it doesn't mean spread yourself so thin. I, I do believe that everybody has the right to choose the causes that they support. I wouldn't, I, I don't condemn judge or criticize people that aren't echoing Cuba's problem right now, because maybe they're echoing South Africa, who's also going through a really tough time or the Amazon forest that's on fire. Mm. I think, you know, I, it's just pick one. It doesn't matter. Pick one, because if you don't pick one, it's kind of, it feels almost like the first step to just letting everything die. We have a responsibility to ourselves, but we also have a responsibility to each other. And many times people, entities, institutions that are more evil and more powerful. No, I think they, they tend to be more evil because you realize that they have a team. So if they have a team, we deserve to have a team too. Mm-hmm. And the only way we can have a team is by echoing each other's voices and needs. I truly believe in that. I, I truly believe in community and I, and I believe in, in thriving as people and celebrating our differences and creating unity rather than separation because we all have a different struggle. That's okay. We all are inspired by different things. Okay, perfect. Use it. Do something with it. You have the power to do it. And I don't care what people say. We are in the perfect country to do it. This country allows you to at least put up a good fight. Other countries have way less opportunity and way less freedom than we do. Living in the United States is privilege enough, period. I don't care. You live here you are privileged. More privileged, less privileged. I'm not here to compare that. But you live in a country that allows you to have freedom of speech. Yes, it has its problems. Yes, systemically it's flawed. But you have the opportunity to put up a effing good fight. Cuba can't even fight right now. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to be the voice of Cuba. That's why I say echoing the issues. I'm not Cuban, but the people that I hung out with for five years and that I'm really, really close to are Cuban. I, I mean, people that are so kind and loving and they have this, they have gone through so much pain and still can create music. Some of the, the most beautifully written music that I've heard and that has moved me is Cuban on you know, on, on the melancholy side and also on the salsa side, which is super fun. And and always, you know, just one inspires me to cry and let it all out. And the other one inspires me to sweat my butt off. When you find people that have given you so much without expecting anything in return, the moment that you have an opportunity, however you deem, this is, this is also important. I don't, I don't think it's, productive to criticize how people decide to help. Because yeah, I understand there's a difference in donating money to, for example, a homeless community. There's a difference between donating money and going and making sandwiches and giving them out, right? Mm -hmm. What if I'm just 
terrible at making sandwiches and I'm just going to waste everybody's time because that's not where I am productive. Then let that person donate. One is not more important than the other. As a community, we have different pieces. That's why it's a community. That's why you need a team because you need different people to concentrate on what they're good at. Be good at giving back. Know what that is. Know what that looks like. If I have a platform, I know exactly the causes that I want to stand up for. And I've been doing it my whole life. That I think that's where my activism comes from. It, it comes from this faith and hope in humanity that there's still more good than evil and that if we stick together, we can also create an impact that will maybe balance out the counterpart. I love that. And I think this is a beautiful place to end. Everything you just said is beautifully said. And I thank you for using your platform and for and for being just a beautiful and wonderful, wonderful human being. It takes one to know one. There is <laughs> nothing that you see in me that is not in you. So I applaud tu lucha. I am, I am constantly inspired by you, by you use your platform as well. And you use your artistry which is another superpower. And it's a great superpower because it's a, um, es un arma poderosa. Es un arma mucho más poderosa que tener un arma de verdad. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And mm. thank you for this. Thank you for like being here and for anytime we can do this again. We can, you know, we can bring my friends from the telenovelas as well. I can leave them with you. I would, I would love, 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 to dignify this more and just join you. I would love that. I would love to have a Sisters del Junco reunion. Oh my gosh. It might be easier for uh, Scarlett and I to do that. We're supposed to be, we're supposed to be together soon. I will keep you posted on that. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, and then maybe we can also have Kimberly join us. Oh, thank you. I would love that. And just, yeah. And I would love to do this with you. And hopefully once uh, your new project becomes public, we can talk again about it. Absolutely. I am so excited for what's coming. Um, I have, I have two projects coming on the way in the, in the next couple of months. Um, hopefully by when this is out, uh, I'll be working on one of them. And then the next one is later on during the year and we can just let people in on the little secret surprises. Oh, I'm so excited. And where can people find you? You said Instagram was the best place. Yeah. Instagram is, is probably the best. I don't use Facebook. Um, I, yeah, I rarely use Facebook. And I rarely use Twitter, but I'll check it from time to time. Instagram is definitely the way to go. And uh, my my handle is at Ana Lorena, which is my uh, first name. And then it's S that stands for Sanchez. And then M that stands for Mondragon, which are my last uh, well, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to this very special episode. <laughs> I will see you all next week. Love you guys.